Just a heads up, everyone. Though we look at things through an optimistic lens on this show, some of the topics may be triggering and some of the language may be adult. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Aggressive Optimism Podcast. I'm Jenna Edwards, and I've overcome some pretty serious adversity in my life. And I just recently realized it was all because of this mindset I call aggressive optimism. I knew I wasn't the only one living with this way of thinking, and as I always say, there's a million ways to do anything. So I wanted to do this podcast so I could have conversations with others and learn how they overcome adversity and achieve their big goals and dreams and create the life they want to live. So without further ado, let's get started. Welcome to the Aggressive Optimism Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Edwards, and today we're going to be talking with one of the most aggressively optimistic people I've ever met. Not only does she believe in the concept of aggressive optimism, she truly lives it on a day-to-day basis. Welcome to the show, Katherine Norland. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. Thank you for being on the show. So I couldn't wait. When I heard the title, I couldn't wait. It's so fun, right? I'm so excited about it. You guys that are listening, Catherine and I have known each other almost two decades now. So we we get each other. So for her to be excited about the title makes me excited because it really is totally in line with what I'm doing. But the show is not about me. It is about Catherine, who is a writer, poet, actor, director, producer, mom, and wife. And I thought... <laughs> And you've just finished a book that you've had to overcome like so many obstacles to finish called Poetic Prescriptions for Plaguing Problems. You guys, Catherine's been talking about this book for so long. I'm so excited. Her book (laughs) is happening. It's exciting as all get out. So let's just dive in because there's so much to cover. So Catherine, as an overview... Can you tell us what the process has been? Because it's been a long time in the making, right? The process of making yeah. the book actually happen and releasing it. Like, just, yeah, fill us all in. Well, I had the idea first in, I think, 2008. Maybe it's 2007. 2007, 2008. And that seems like so long ago, being <laughs> it's 2019. And it then like I, a lifetime ago. <laughs> Right? Yeah, I was a totally different person then. And I thought I knew what it was going to be. You have that inkling, that seed. But then my son popped out into the world four months early. And with that came all kinds of medical challenges. And we were in the intensive care unit for four months, 118 days to be exact, not knowing if he was going to live or die. And so it kind of went by the wayside. And then I would, I would be wanting to work on it, but then it was kind of like I took all my dreams and shoved them under the bed because suddenly I took him home and I had to become a nurse because he was getting medicine like 20 times a day or 20 doses a day. He was having 10 doctor's appointments a week. Um, and it, it just, it became an all consuming thing. And so finally when things normalized and well, I thought they were normalizing. I'm like, okay, he's off oxygen now. He can breathe on his own, you know, and then I noticed he wasn't walking and then came these other diagnoses, the cerebral palsy and, and yada, yada, yada. Then it was this whole, now you're in research mode. Okay. The book's on hold again, because you're, you're, you're trying to figuring out these new diagnoses. And then I'd work on it a little bit. How do you make this like insanity your new normal? Mm-hmm. It's, 
huge obstacle to overcome, right? Yeah, and, and with that, they, you know, had developmental delays and intellectual disabilities. And so you're doing all this research and you're trying to get them all this help. So you're like, okay, the book will be there. It'll be there when I'm ready. And then finally you're like, okay, we got the new normal. He's in his little special ed kindergarten classes. Now I can start mm-hmm. working on it. And then, then these behavioral issues started coming up. And I was like, oh, wow. something isn't right here. And then it's back to the clinics and back to the specialist and what is going on with him he's making these noises he's doing this he's having these fits he's he's way past the terrible twos and then we get some new diagnoses of um Tourette's syndrome and autism and ADHD and then okay the book's gonna go on hold for a little bit longer oh my gosh (laughs) now these other new diagnoses but do you guys, everybody listening, yeah. like, do you see what I mean by this woman lives this idea of aggressive optimism? I mean, the whole time she's doing what she has to do for her son and still believing that that book is going to be out in the world. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. So then I, I told you about the idea I had. I wanted to make a, a dress out of flypaper to put on the cover and have all these bugs stuck to it because totally plaguing problems of life you got all these issues in life and they can be like the 10 plagues like this is flies coming at you locusts are eating all your crops i mean the problems in life we have it's money problems it's career problems it's this it's you know medical or health challenges or whatever it is but they're still flagging problems so i was like i'm gonna have this dress with these bugs stuck to it i don't know how to do it and i tried for years of getting all these samples I'm like I just it just kept drawing out and I finally 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 created the dress it took years to create the dress that I wanted on, that I wanted on the cover and I'm like we're gonna we're gonna release this and then I found out I was pregnant oh, that's right <laughs> and then I had yeah I was ready to, I was finally ready to release the book I think 2017 20, early 2018 then I had to be on bed rest I had a preemie before, so now I'm considered high risk. Because oh once you hit once you hit 35, you're considered elderly and high risk. <laughs> so <laughs> then I'm on bed rest, and it actually ended up being pretty severe because I was like, "This book is coming out this year. I don't care." And then I almost died, and they had to do an emergency C-section, and I was in intensive care oh for seven gosh. days, and the baby was in intensive care for 38 days. Oh my and gosh. <laughs> whole process again of healing and I had put on 100 pounds and wow. girl, I did not I did, right. not I did not fit in that fly paper <laughs> dress I, I designed to say the so, least right yeah to say the lead didn't fit in any of my clothes 100 pounds is a lot to put on in five four or five months oh my goodness so I was like I don't care this book is coming out this year so I I I checked into like getting a publisher and all this other stuff. And I thought, I am not waiting a year to hear back from all these different publishers and age. I'm just going to put it out there myself because this message has been burning in me for over a decade. So I hired a model and I hired a, a boa constrictor and I had oh this gosh. whole photo shoot and the, the beehive hair on the model and the, exactly how I pictured it with an old fashioned fumigation can and blah, blah, blah. And I was going to put it out there. And then, I got all this feedback from different people I tested the book with, and they're like, nope, book cover, it's scary. She looks scary. What is this? Is she supposed to be 
Eve in the garden. If she's Eve, how come she has on this weird dress made out of fly paper? It was just so confusing to people. I was like, darn it. Back to the drawing board. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I didn't realize that that had happened, by the way, because I just saw the cover a couple of weeks ago when you announced the book launch. And I was like, what yep. happened to the cover? Because I had seen the one that you had been yep. talking about forever. And yep. so interesting, but isn't that the case, right? We have to be so flexible when we're doing yep. creative projects. You know, you mm -hmm. can have your idea of what you want, but if it's not resonating with the audience that you want the book to right. to, you have to make a shift. Yeah. And that wow. was hard. And at that point, I had spent months making that dress and I had thrown it in the trash. I didn't oh even have it anymore. Because I thought the cover is done. I'm not, you know. Why well, hold sad, on to it? You know? Though but, at this oh. point, it should probably be in the Smithsonian. <laughs> Uh, right. And so, I mean, meticulously, I would spend 12 hours a day curling each little coil to make it look like a coil of flypaper and hot gluing each little ribbon. It was just full. And then I was like, the dress is gone. And my publicist and everybody else is saying, this is your story. This is your book. You need to be on the cover. This is not fiction where it's some, you hire some model or actor to be some fictional. This is you and your life and what you've been through. And so I was like, Oh man, I don't have to dress anymore. <laughs> what oh can I do? That so, so you know, a lot of brainstorming, and we re we figured out I could, you know what? I'm armed. I'm wearing a flypaper dress, and I'm armed with cans of pesticide to fight back the <laughs> plagues on my life. I cut out the dress. I cut the dress off a girl that I hired, and turned it into a little a little paper doll dress with the little tabs on it, and I, you really know, so I. Did, I did plan B and it, you know, it is what it is because you just have to roll with it. I wasn't going to let anything else stop me from putting this book out when, you know, it's 12 years since its initial inception in my brain. And then I was like, that's it. I don't know. That's going to be it. Yeah, exactly. Like there comes a point where you're, you're just like, I have to be done. Yeah. You know? And so I'm curious because... I think for a lot of people, you know, you write this, this book and the book is a book of poetry, but, and mm -hmm. so it's really quirky and fun. You guys, Katie or Catherine's writing is, uh, so fun. And so, I mean, you have the best description to describe your writing and I would love for you to share with the audience because I feel like it's literally an example of the of the style of writing while telling people what the style of writing is. Okay. Well, I tend to write quirky, motivational poetry with a punch for Jesus freaks, spiritual snobs, believers bustling to be better and hypocrites hankering to be holy. It's so good, right? So you guys get a sample of, of just like the, the mindset that Catherine goes into her writing with. It's not, it's very serious subjects, but her, the way she presents them is very upbeat and quirky. Quirky is a great word. And so mm -hmm. when you wrote this book, it was a lot of personal stories now made into this quirky poetry. And mm -hmm. so you, I feel like, at least I would, think, oh, just having a model on the cover is going to be fine because it's not really air quote my story. Right? So... <laughs> 
having people be like, this is your story about like some Mm -hmm. serious things that you had to overcome. And now you have to put your face on the book when you weren't really planning it. Like, was that a, a big kind of mental hurdle to get around for you? Um, it was at first cause I didn't want to let the model down that I hired and ah. I'm, I'm very, very much like, you know, I was trying to consider her feelings and, um, but after so much, fe- I had people saying, I'm not even going to buy the book if you're not on the cover. I was like, what? Wow. <laughs> so uh, people like I was getting texts over and over from people I showed it to and they were adamant. they were like, you have to be on the cover. And I was like, oh, I'm not trying to be prideful or vain. I don't have to be on the cover of every book I do, <laughs> um, you know. <laughs> but for this particular thing, for whatever reason, they wanted the, the consensus was that it that it should be me. And and it does. There's a lot of deep and personal stuff in there. I mean, I talk about how uh, you know, re- re- uh, having physical abuse in my life, and then how that carried on into my life, where I was like beating up my husband and throwing shoes at his head when he'd say something that ticked me off and like, mm. there is a lot of deep and personal stuff in there that that's like yeah it, it is my story and how I overcame a lot of these obstacles so I and get so, why people wanted that yeah absolutely and I think that that makes it even harder to a certain degree because I can't imagine that all of these stories are stories you're proud to share with the world. No. Why I'm so grateful you did the book because we all have those things, right? Mm-hmm. This, you being on the cover was a way, an extra way for you to have to own those scenarios. So how did you prepare yourself for that? Um. I honestly didn't really think about it. Okay. I had a month to I had a month to book launch, and I was like, my whole thing for 2019 was to fail fast and to fail big, to do things I'm scared to do, and just throw caution to the wind and say, hey, I don't know if this is the right thing to do, but we're doing it because I can't continue to be stuck in analysis paralysis hmm. or letting being perfect keep me keep me procrastinating. Yeah. So whether it's the right thing to do or not, I, I heard an author once talk about the 80% rule. And he said, when your work is 80% as good as you can get it, put it out there. Oh, and that's interesting. Don't wait till it's 100% or even 95%. At the 80% rule is you just put it out there when it's 80% ready. And that has freed me up a lot because in the past, I used to get used to get so stuck in wanting things to be perfect and not to have any mess ups or errors for, you know, deep down, I used to have this voice in my head saying, you're not smart enough, you're not good enough. And, you know, I covered that in my last book, uh, Poetic Prescriptions for Eternal Youth. But getting over that mindset that that you have to be perfect, that people have, you know, if they see you mess up and then you're, they're going to think you're dumb or whatever the stupid chatter is going on between your two ears. <laughs> in order to overcome that, I have to that was my whole mantra this year, fail big and fail fast. That's why I'm throwing this book launch party, not knowing what I'm doing and why a lot of the decisions I've made this year, I don't know if they're going to work out, but if I don't do it, then I'll, then for sure they're not going to work out. Right. You don't know until you try. Absolutely. It's, it's so amazing to me because it's so brave. And I think Mm. that's bravery and courage are two words that I've been working with this year especially mm-hmm. courage, 
because I feel like right now for me being openly aggressively optimistic is taking a lot of courage and so because it's so much easier to become complacent with the negative yeah and I love that you're like fail big fail fast and just pick up the pieces and I think the only way to do that is to have that kind of mindset of it's all going to be fine well, and there's so many people that want to place doubts in your head. There's so many people that it didn't work out for. And as soon as you tell them, hey, this is what I'm going to do, they have 20 stories of people who've tried the same thing or similar things that failed. <laughs> and I, like, I don't need more examples of the failures. Um, exactly. I remember, I, I remember writing once, you're eager to convince me. You somehow think I've missed it, but I'm just ignorant enough to be optimistic. <laughs> Oh my gosh, there we go. That's the quote going on Instagram, yo. That's so good. <laughs> so it's it's that whole like the most sometimes it's so much better to just go for it than to do tons of research. Oh, for sure. Because when you go and do tons of research, you're gonna find all oh this didn't work, oh this didn't work, oh this didn't work. And you're gonna find all when you just go for it, you just you got your blind faith and your trust in whatever entity is telling you to do this (laughs) and you're going for it and you'll figure it out and you'll adjust along the way. And even if you fail, it doesn't make you a failure. It just means you tried something that didn't work. So then you try something else and maybe that won't work, but you just keep trying stuff. If you've got that dream burning in your heart, if you don't do it, you don't want to be waiting until you're a raisin in the rocking chair going, oh, I wonder what would have happened if I did that thing. All right. I think it's interesting too because something I've been realizing for myself is uh, it's kind of the opposite, meaning there's so many stories of how people did certain things. And in my Mm -hmm. opinion, there's a million ways to do anything. And it's so important for me to find that way that works for me because yeah. I used to do all the how-tos, all the step-by-steps, all the like mm-hmm. examples of people succeeding. And mm-hmm. I, would, I felt like I was doing them wrong. And so mm. I started to beat myself up for doing it wrong. When, and then I started to realize like, no, no, you're just doing it wrong for you. Like you have to find the thing that lights you up to the point where yeah. you don't care what anyone else says. You don't care how they tell you to do it. You just know 100% that you're going to get it done in your own way. And so I feel like that's like such a huge shift for me because, I mean, I I talked about this before, but when we went on the road trip, but I spent the first four months feeling like I was doing it wrong because everybody (laughs) was like, when are you jumping out of an airplane? And I'm like, huh? You know, like, like people have ideas of what it looks like for you to do things. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's important for us to have a stronger idea of what it looks like for us to do things. Well, that right, right back to Shakespeare, to thine own self be true. Exactly. Is that do what others want you to do. Yeah. Right. right? And for me, it was back. like. Exactly. Bringing it back all the way to Shakespeare, which is so funny, right? Like there's all of these wise sages out there with great advice. And almost always that great advice is you figuring out you. Yeah. You know? And so I'm sorry, I just got off on a tangent. So Bucks Jenna in the house. (laughs) 
<laughs> so back to you. Uh, if you can believe it, I can because we're us and um, we like to talk. If you could give yourself, I, I say that because we're almost out of time. <laughs> mm-hmm, if mm-hmm. you could give yourself one piece of advice from way back in 2007 when you first came up with this concept, mm-hmm. what would it be? Even if, even if you can't articulate the vastness of your dream, it doesn't give it any less credence. Oh. So back oh, then, just because you just can, in the gut. <laughs> just because you don't have your little elevator pitch or your little log line or what, you've got something burning in you and you may not even be able to describe it. You may not be able to articulate the vastness of your dream, but it doesn't give it any less credence. And sometimes we can feel like, oh, because I don't have my elevator pitch, then maybe what I have isn't, you know, because it takes a long time to figure stuff out. Sometimes I'm thinking about titles for a book years before I've even compiled the book. And sometimes, you know, it honestly, it took me several, I knew the, the book was going to be called Poetic Prescriptions for Plaguing Problems in 2007. I didn't get the I didn't get the subtitle till like eight eight years later. <laughs> so, and you were saying that the the poems that you chose to put in the book changed as well. Yeah, yeah. So the, the, everything morphs, and I think if it had come out years before when I had initially, it wouldn't be as sweet. It wouldn't be as deep. It wouldn't be as rich. I wouldn't have been able to really delve into the issues and problems I dove into on such a deep level. I mean, I, the, the, um, I just got somebody reviewed it on Amazon and they were talking about how, how they were moved and how they cried reading it and how it's like, it's like their second Bible. And, I was like, wow, that, you know, I had not anticipated someone saying they're crying while reading. I know I cried a lot while writing it, but you don't know necessarily if that's going to translate to others. You don't know if your work that's so deeply personal to you is going to affect others on the way it affect, you know, the way it affected you. So that's a very, you know, a very humbling experience that you can reach out and, you know, do something for someone that, that you go, gosh, it helped me. And you just hope it helps others. That's amazing. And anyone listening, it is the perfect holiday gift for everyone. (laughs) No, not everyone, but you'll go on Amazon. I'll put the link in the show page and you'll read what it's about. And, but I feel like it's going to, it would be the perfect gift for so many people. So definitely check that out. Uh, and do a little holiday shopping at aggressiveoptimism.com. And what is a big major resource for you that you Mm -hmm. can share with our audience? You know, journaling has really helped me a lot over the years. Journal, just, I feel like the, the, a lot of times it's not that in life, it's not that we lack motivation or that we don't know. We, I think, it comes down to clarity. Mm. If we're journaling and we're being like, we're being upfront with what we're dealing with, what we're going through. I feel like 
journaling combined with prayer will give you the clarity you need to know what your next step is, to not feel stuck. You know, you've got 10,000 choices of things you could be doing and what is right for you. You have to get to know yourself. And we're so busy being distracted constantly that we don't take time to know ourselves. We feel like if we're alone with ourselves for five minutes, oh my gosh, I got to pick up my phone and check my notices. Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't if you don't know yourself, you're never going to be able to accomplish your dreams on the level that you want to because you don't even really know what you want. I love that so much. So for those that are listening, because this was an actual problem for me when I first started hearing about journaling, I always thought like the only person I knew that journaled was Laura Engel Wilder. And so I thought, yeah. oh, you have to journal that way so that one day you can turn it into a book. And then the other oh. way was Dear Diary. It's Jenna. Today I yeah. had apple pie at school and the boy I liked walked by, you know, like that kind of stuff. So oh my gosh, like yeah. when you talk about journaling to get to know yourself, I feel like there's a lot of people out there who don't realize there are different ways to journal, and I would love for you mm -hmm. to share your way. Um, the way I journal is I go to a quiet place where nobody's around. Once the, once the big kid's on the bus and the little kid's down for a nap, and I just start out by praying mm -hmm. and writing down, like, what what is my prayer for today? What is my what do I need God to help me with? And I'll write that in my journal and I'll be cool. And, and sometimes I'm, I'm like mad and I'm writing down, this isn't working out for me. This isn't working out for me. This is what, you know, sometimes it's a, me, a lot of writing, but a lot of times it's listening and waiting for that still small voice to answer me and journal it, writing down what I feel like that voice is telling me to do. I love um, that. For me, it's mm -hmm. meditating and then mm -hmm starting to just write yeah. whatever pops into my head. And I have to do exactly. it at like five in the morning. It's the first thing. And I, I started to realize just last week, actually, I was doing it um, after guided meditation and my journaling wasn't meaning as much. So I started uh, to uh, like just quiet, like yes. no noise meditation for five minutes. And then I could hear my yeah. own voice. Right? It's like yes. before anyone else's voice gets in your head, that's when I like Exactly. That's perfect. So, you know, there's no right way. There's no wrong way. It's just whatever works right. for you. And so I love it. Thank you so much for sharing your process with us. And uh, <laughs> you are like the quote queen. So uh, I can't wait <laughs> to hear what quote you're going to share with our audience. Uh, you know, the, the quote that that's sticks with me for so many, so many, so many years because I used to be so not sure of myself that I would think everyone else had better opinions. Way was better than my way. The quote that's been following me around for like 25 years is never take advice from someone you wouldn't trade places with. Oh, I just got chills. I've known you for two decades and you've never said that to me. Really? No. It's, it's, it's <laughs> I, I think it's, I don't know who said it, but I, I used to be so quick to go to people for advice, people who were older than me, people who were wiser, people who'd been doing this industry longer than me, people who had more degrees, more alphabet letters after their name. And, and then I started to inspect their life and I thought, wow, they may have all these degrees on their wall or they may have this, but would I want the life that they're living? And if the answer is no, they're not the kind of person I need to be taking advice from. 
Oh my God. I love that so much. And I actually, it's so funny. I had an experience similar because as I was getting ready to do a daily podcast, people were like, mm-hmm. that's so much. You're going to be burned out. You're going to be burned out. And I started to realize no. the people saying you're going to be burned out are the people who are doing the thing that they shouldn't be doing. And so they're burned out. But the people who are doing exactly. the thing, right? And so mm-hmm. you're listening to this, like, and I was starting to panic. I'm like, well, I don't want to get burned out. And then I realized right? I have the opposite experience when I get to have conversations like this. I get lit up so mm-hmm. much that I can go out. The rest of my day is completely different, right? And so <laughs> I love it. It's very similar. Like, don't take advice from people if you wouldn't trade places. It makes total yep. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah. You're so inspiring. And you guys, I'm going to post uh, links to all of Catherine's stuff on the show page at aggressiveoptimism.com. Please support her. She has overcome massive things in order to put this book out in the world and it is going to change lives. So hopefully it changes yours. You have been listening to the Aggressive Optimism Podcast. I'm your host, Jenna Edwards, and I appreciate you guys so much. Remember, if you dream it, it's possible, and I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a great day. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. I really hope you'll join me next time. The Aggressive Optimism Podcast is made possible through affiliate programs. So if you'd like to support the podcast and get some really great products for yourself, head on over to the offerings page at aggressiveoptimism.com. And if you want a little more aggressive optimism in your life, please follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Jenna Edwards Life. I'll see you over there. Until then, have a good one.